Hi there. Welcome to The Alchemy. Uh, We do use adult language during the podcast, so listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, before you jump into the podcast, I'm super excited. I have my website almost totally done, so you can go check it out at trishlawcoaching.com. You can also schedule a free strategy session. You can just go right to um, the website. You can click um, schedule the free session and it will put you right into my calendar. It's that simple. Um, It also has really great testimonials and um, sort of all the options that I offer there too. So if you love the podcast and you want to set up a session for coaching, um, I should have some space available for the remainder of January. Moving into February, March, I'm not sure um, that I will have space. But if you would like to set something up now, that's a perfect place to do it. Just go right to my website, trishlawcoaching.com, schedule your strategy session, and we will get you all set. I can't wait. What's up, alchemists? It's me, Trish Law, the host of the Alchemy Podcast, where we use all the shitty stuff in life to help us become better. (laughs) Pretty much how it goes. Um, I'm so glad you guys are here. Uh, I'm going to be calling these coming to session. So once a week, we're going to sit down and unpack a couple things that hopefully will help you and help me because this helps me just as much as it helps you. And I just want to tell you guys how grateful I am for you. Um... The first podcast of the new year I posted last Monday, it had, I got a lot of great feedback off uh, from it. And I'm so grateful for you because I wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for you. Um, so thank you. And, um, you know, it's like, sh- sh- shit, man. First week of 2021. Let's just put it, to put it mildly. <sighs> leaves Leaves much to be desired. We are clearly not... <laughs> what are the people were saying but like okay 2021 i've tried my seven day trial and i'm not interested in i'd like to cancel my subscription whatever um but i think you know this is the time if we're ever going to just go in and kind of figure ourselves out i mean we certainly can't control what's happened externally you know we can be we can feel sad about it and we can be um disheartened by it and um, the only way that's going to get better is if we clean up our own house. You know, uh, there's nothing else that matters right now more than that. Um, because not only does it impact how we show up in the world, but it impacts how we influence other people to do it too. Because when we can model what self-awareness is and we can use these kind of in- bits of information to help us, you know, love better, receive better, be more honest, live more fully, we give other people permission to do it too. So people don't feel like they have to jump to binary or labels all the time. I mean, this is the reason that we're seeing so much of this stuff externally is because people are not doing the stuff we're talking about on this podcast. And I know that sounds like a, I don't know, what's what's the word? My friend Solon always used big words and I can't think of one of his words right now. He used the word sycophant like a couple weeks ago and I was like, what the fuck is a sycophant? And he's like, it's when you like blow smoke up somebody's ass and you're like ass kissing for the purpose of trying to manipulate them. And I was like, oh my God, that's a good word to know. I hope I'm not a sycophant. Um, but I digress. What I mean really is the best thing we can do when we're in a collective dark night of the soul, which is exactly what we are right now, 
right? It's like we can't identify with what was anymore, but we don't quite know what's coming. I mean, that is the definition of a dark night of the soul. The best thing we can do is clean up some of the stories that we have about ourselves and try to come out of this better the other side. Honestly, I don't think anything else matters because I know that not only does that improve the quality of our lives, we live more fully, it makes us safe for other people to do the same. Not only just the people that we kind of cohabitate with or the people that we work with or the people that we're around in our community. But also if you think about it, if we clean up our shit, we're not going to pass this garbage down to like our great grandkids and think, you know, I, I wish, I wish I knew this earlier because I would have started this work earlier, but here we are. And I'm so glad you're here. Um, so today we're going to be talking about, um, I'm going to go back to this little Instagram post I wrote, uh, earlier this week. And it's basically the order of, of operations uh, of what typically happens when we're living our life on a default setting. And to me, when I say default setting, it means the predictable, almost subconscious behavior that we play out without even knowing we're doing it. And some people in the spiritual community say it's like the difference between like sleepwalking through your life or being awake of your life. Oprah would say like taking full responsibility for your life. Even in regular psychology or like therapy, they would say something to the iteration of like, what are the patterns of behavior that we're seeing and are they working for you or are they not? Right? Um, and so that's what I wanted to talk about today. And I know I've touched on this before, but I am a life coach. I'm not a therapist. Um, I don't have any interest in being a therapist, at least at this point in my life. And I reserve the right to change my mind. However, today that's where I feel. Um, and my brother, Jimmy, asked me, we were out to dinner last week. He's like, I think my family thinks what I do is weird. It probably really annoys them, but whatever. I mean, I don't know how not to do it at this point. It's kind of like when people say they go to AA and they can't get the AA out of their head. I can't get the self-awareness out of my head. It's all I want to talk about, which I'm sure is really annoying. Um, but my brother, Jimmy goes like, what is a life coach? And I said, I know it's the cringiest thing ever. He's like, it just sounds weird and cheesy. And I was like, thank you for being honest. And my description of it was this, as I've been really transparent about, I love therapy. I've been in and out of therapy for over 30 years and I've had multiple therapists who have given me incredible insight. Um, and I'm so grateful to that. They really get you to understand your story. And I think that's a really important part of this, this process. Like you have to understand your story, right? And so we're going to get to that today. Actually, it's part of the steps we're going to talk about, but a lot of times we stay in that story. And my question was always like, okay, I know I'm fucked up, but can I still like be successful and be fucked up? Like, can I still like make progress and be a dumpster fire? Can I have a story and then heal and move forward at the same time? And that's what life coaching meant to me. It was basically, if I was gonna think about it from a sports perspective, right? To me, the difference between therapy and life coaching is the difference between defense and offense. They're both equally valuable. Defense helps us from basically fucking up ourselves up further, right? We're like, okay, at least I know where I'm fucked up, so I'm less likely to be more fucked up doing the same shit moving forward. I know my story now. But if we get stuck in defense, right, it really, we have a hard time and we're, we're living that story and we're talking about that story and we're just like, my mom was so mean to me and I hated her. We stay in that story. It doesn't discount it, but like, okay, your mom was an asshole, but can we, can we move forward? 
that's where life coaching kind of takes the ball and starts to take that story and move it along, right? So to me, the difference between therapy and life coaching is the difference between offense and defense. We need the defense. Defense wins games, but we've got to score. We've got to move forward. We've got to use the story and leverage the story to make progress. And that's where I like to play. So I love getting people's stories, but the story for me is more of a diagnostic of like, what is this person's default setting and how do we leverage that? And how do we get them off of doing these same things over and over again? You know, and to go back to a sports analogy again, for, for an example, you know, and I know this because I'm a wife of a division one coach and, you know, I have so much respect for how my husband does things. And I love, he teaches me so much as a coach because he's so good at it. But basically, um, you know, examining how a player shows up on the field, even playing like, you know, a game, even for my, my husband's sport, field hockey, like they're going to have predictable patterns and their patterns are going to be a result of what they've learned up until that point. But without identifying where the weaknesses are, where the injuries are, what patterns of play that athlete is constantly going over, like they're going to become a one-trick pony, right? So it's like, for example, if they have an ACL injury, they're going to be babying that ACL injury. And also if they have a tendency to run up the left side of the field, they're always going to do that until a coach is like, did you notice that you do this? And hey, we need to take care of that injury. So maybe get into PT. So that's kind of where the difference between sleepwalking and just playing the game you traditionally play it and then moving and getting some insight about how you can manipulate this and move the ball around a little bit better. That's what we're talking about today. So the post I wrote was, there's an order of operations that most of us use when we're living our life in our default setting, okay? And the default setting is the predictable set of beliefs, patterns, and behaviors that you typically live your life in. And, and, and specifically, that's the ego. The first order of operation is a trigger. The second order of operation is a feeling. The third order of operation is story. The fourth is behavior. And the fifth is outcome. We can't control the first two parts. But when we tune in to number two, it will vastly impact how we show up in number three, number four, and number five. So let me just reread that in a little bit better. So we can't control triggers and our feelings. We can't. We can't control what happens externally and internally. That trigger that happens when somebody does something or says something to us. So if we have a disempowering internal monologue that's just part of who we're, our story, we can't really, there's not a lot we can do, especially if it's external. And we certainly can't control the feelings that we have right? We can't. Like, that's just part of our human nature. That's our internal compass. Um, but if we can stop the bus on the feeling and value the feeling, our story, our behavior, and our outcome have a chance of being different, okay? Here's, here's the traditional problem with this whole thing. Um, a trigger is something that we can't control. A feeling is something we can't control. We just, we, we, we get triggered and we feel stuff, right? That's just part of being a human. Um, the problem is in traditional therapy, now I know the therapy is shifting and changing and that's awesome and I don't mean to discount it in any way. Uh, traditional therapy was based on behavior management, okay? So basically, uh, the reason why behavior management was a huge part of therapy 
or uh, even um, psychiatrics was because it's measurable, right? That's how we have diagnosis where like somebody's like, well, this person, you know, does this, this, and this, they have this diagnosis based on their behavior. And I know that because I can measure the behavior. But my issue has always been, I felt like that's putting the cart before the horse. I've always felt like that's putting the heart cart before the horse. I've always had huge feelings. They're so big that like they'll literally show up in my body. Um, and so much of my story has been based on how people have responded to my feelings, right? Like for example, I had panic attacks. I've shared this with you guys so much. That's an incredible, overwhelming feeling in your body my panic attacks would show up into like hands cramping up and hyperventilation and all this somatic stuff. Like there was no language when it came to my panic attack. It was just an overwhelming sensation in my body. And it was received incredibly negatively where people looked at it like it was a problem. Like people looked at it like it was a real issue. And so we went right over understanding the feeling and not sitting with the feeling and labeling it as a problem. So the story that I began to identify with was that when I had any kind of feeling in my body, it was immediately something that was a problem. And so you can see how like, you know, the train can get off the rails really quickly where my behaviors were a result of the feelings I was having, right? And so the feelings were completely discounted as a disorder or a problem. And I think that this is one of the biggest disservices in traditional um, thoughts when it comes to changing and modifying behaviors and outcomes, because we look at the thing that elicited the story itself as as a problem. I think it's the best part. Here's the problem with that, though. You can't measure a feeling. This is why traditional psychology completely discounted it because you can't measure it. It's like, ooh, that's too messy and that's too uh, amorphous. We're not going to go there. We're just going to manage behaviors and that's going to be how we're going to treat this. I've always found it to be an issue. So this goes back to the post I was just talking about. I'm saying, what happened and how did it make me feel before the storylining starts either from other people's opinions or my opinion of myself before those stories influence how I'm going to show up in that environment or how I've been conditioned to show up in that environment and before we have this outcome that comes out of a result of how we treated that feeling. What I think we need to get better at is knowing that we have absolutely no control over the first two, but sitting with the feeling first because it doesn't have language. What happens is we put language to it. And I'm gonna give you a few examples of this. So again, I wanna go through the order of operations. Number one is a trigger, number two is a feeling, number three is story, number four is behavior, number five is outcome. I believe with every ounce of my soul that we can change story, behavior, and outcome if we understand how to sit with the feeling part first because it is our internal guidance system, some people would call it our inner child, uh, speaking to us and saying something's quite something's not quite right here, right? Instead of discounting it as something that's immeasurable and therefore does not have value. I think it's the most valuable part of us. Um, I think I've talked about this before. Traditional therapy is a top-down approach, which means cognitive thought. Then if there's any space or time left over, maybe you breathe or maybe you try to come up with a, you know, a different sensation in the body. Um, but again, I feel like it's the cart before the horse. I like a more sort of collaborative or interdependent part of like, okay, it's mind and body, or more importantly for me, 
it's body first, mind second, because that's really what's driving the story and the behavior. Okay. So let me kind of go through these things piece. Number one, trigger. What is it? Basically a trigger is quotation marks. If it had a question, it'd be like, what happened? Right? What happened? Did you stub your toe? Did you get bullied? Did somebody say something to you? Did you have uh, the bank account be a certain number? Did you not get the job? Did somebody tell you they loved you? Did, did you have some fear about something? It's something usually outside of us that elicits some kind of physical response in us, okay? So a trigger is the event that happened that elicits a feeling in the body, which leads us to number two. And a feeling in the body is a somatic experience. Somatic experiences are feelings that do not have language, right? So it's this, some people would even call it the sixth sense. Now I know this sounds weird and shut the fuck up if you don't like woo stuff, just shut up, just shut the fuck up. Just kidding. Um, I think everybody has a sixth sense. Like we say that we focus on the five senses, which I'm not even going to go through now because I can't think of them. What is it? Sight, smell, taste, hearing, and touch, right? Yeah, it is. But there's another one that's like this, this feeling inside of you that you're like, you just kind of know stuff without knowing it. Or you ever been around a person that you're like, ugh. Like, I don't know about that. Like, I'm getting some dark energy about that. Or this person feels like sunshine to me. Um, it's that, like, intangible uh, something that doesn't necessarily have language. Now, this does correspond with, like, certain areas of the brain. I'm not going to get into neuroscience right now because it's just whatever. I think it's more practical if we can just acknowledge that that thing exists. But it is a feeling that starts in the body. It does not start in the brain. It starts in the body and it is a somatic experience. And a somatic experience is something that is typically an intrinsic knowing in the physical body, right? So that's, it could be uh, a pit in your stomach. It could be um, shaking hands. It could be sweating. It could be heart palpitations. It could be your breath starts to uh, operate differently. It could be a headache. It could be like a rush of emotion, but this is where we have a tendency to discount the value of that feeling, okay? So this is where I think that the, the, the first of all, we end up putting the car before the horse because we end up putting the brain before the body, which I think is completely, totally off. And secondly, we discount it and we call it a problem. Well, for me, I'm like, that's my, my wisest part of myself, right? It's trying to tell me, where things feel safe and where they don't feel safe. Now, when we have a feeling in the body that is, let's call it less than desirable, it triggers the third part of this order of operations and the story is what's third, okay? Now, I wanna introduce the next character to this, which I haven't even introduced in the five steps of the default setting, which you know basically is like sleepwalking through your life. And that's the ego. We're going to talk more about this next week, but the ego is what kicks in when that story starts. It's when we start putting language or storylining or meaning behind that feeling, okay? This is the third step, and this happens sometimes within seconds, right? The feeling, whether it's good or bad, will lead the ego. Basically, that feeling goes up into the brain, and the ego kicks in. 
and starts making, the, the ego is the meaning-making machine. And there is a story that comes out of that third step, right? And that story is the filter that you put on to that feeling in your body based on your past experiences, specifically your trauma, because the ego and the way the story plays out is very trauma informed. Now, when I use the word trauma, I'm not talking about getting your leg chopped off or having some catastrophic thing happen to you. What I'm talking about is something that real that happened to you that didn't feel very good and influenced uh, in a painful way how you view the world now. And a trauma could be anything from catastrophic sexual abuse, which is terrible, uh, of course, to something that is maybe easily uh, looked over as something benign, like somebody, you know, stealing your Cabbage Patch Kid on the playground in first grade. That's trauma. So the story is going to be influenced by these traumatic events, right? A lot of that. And when the ego kicks in, Basically, the ego, its job is to keep you safe. It is not to make you happy. It's not to help you grow. It's not to help you move forward. It is to keep things on the up and up. And the ego, two main sources of fuel are certainty and significance. It places us as the protagonist and which means I'm the most important. It's all about me, 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 me. Not meaning like you're, you're some sort of narcissist, but that's how we survive. It's like, how am I going to take care of myself? Uh, based on like survival needs. And the second thing that it needs is certainty. It needs to understand variables. So we can understand how like if the ego is driven by significance and certainty, it's going to be deeply, deeply biased, uh, especially if we've had pain and trauma on how we filter our life. And the story is going to reflect that. Okay. After the story kicks in, then behavior kicks in. So this is step number four. And behavior are the actions taken, uh, which are typically incredibly predictable based on the ego story that really help us either protect or project. And that means I'm either going to protect myself, wall up, or I'm going to deflect it out, right? So I'm when I show up, I'm either going to protect myself by withdrawing or I'm going to protect my or project this out by f- pushing against it, right? And so that's where the behavior comes in. Finally, the last step of this is outcome. And that's the end result, right? What was the result of this? What's the ROI <laughs> on this stuff, right? So let's use this in a really, really kind of more like low stakes way. So let's say uh, we're talking about athletics. The trigger is... Um, you know, I'm playing soccer and the, I'm playing a defensive end on soccer and, you know, the ball gets past the offense. It gets past the midfield. It's starting to cross the 50 yard line and it's starting to come up to me. I'm triggered, right? I'm like, oh shit, something's going on outside of me. The feeling in my body typically for an athlete is going to be some surge of adrenaline, right? There's a difference when you're a defensive player and I play defense against you can't tell that when the ball is on the other side of the field, you're kind of on high alert, right? But you're watching the ball down the field. And then all of a sudden the ball starts to make its way down towards the 50 yard line towards towards your goal. And then all of a sudden something physically happens in your body. It's not just that you're running around and you're focusing on the game, but there is some sort of chemical shift in the body. That's a feeling for athletes. It's going to be adrenaline. It's the cue that says like, we need to move, right? The story is, uh, based on the trigger, which is the ball moving up field. 
and the feeling, which is, oh my gosh, I need to get my, my adrenaline starts to go up. So you get a little bit more energy, that like surge of energy. The story is I need to get this ball and get it the fuck out of this part of the field and move it back up field, right? That's the story. My job as a defender is to get that ball to move up field. The behavior is the offensive player from the opposite team comes up to me. I do my best to defend that, hopefully tackle, maybe pass the ball to my teammate and then move that up ball up field. The outcome is what we're hoping is to get that ball back up field and up on the offensive side for us so that we can possibly score. Okay. Now, if we're talking about emotionally, like like in life, this is one of my favorite analogies to use. Trigger would be, he doesn't text me back, right? So you're sitting there, you put this text out into the world, you really like this guy, and his inaction triggers you, right? The trigger. Now, this is where we very quickly have a tendency to skip over number two and go right to number three, okay? So if we sit with number two, the trigger is he didn't text me back. The feeling is a gut sense in my belly, sick feeling, desperate, sweaty palms, like heart rate starts to go up. We notice that in the body, but that happens so quickly that the ego's like, this feels like shit. We better get this fucking story going right now because we've got to protect the variables. Remember, the ego's job is to keep us safe. It is not to make us happy. It is not to have us be rational. It is to help us survive, right? So the story kicks in and it's, of course, he's cheating on me. Of course it is, right? And we're going to base that story on our past experiences because we've been cheated on three other times. So of course he's cheating on me. It's predictable. And you've experienced trauma because this is a trauma-informed story as all of our stories are trauma-informed. So that's going to make the per- the behavior super predictable, which is hypervigilance. I'm going to try to you know, well, there's two ways of doing this. I said this on a TikTok. You're either going to turn into a complete psycho, which is, of course, you know, completely trauma-informed because that's a way to project, or we're going to, you know, ghost them because that's the way that we protect. We're either going to withdraw or we're going to fight. Fight or flight response kicks in, especially when the story is very trauma-informed, right? And we're in that default setting. And the outcome is, he's like, fuck this shit. You're crazy. You're fucking crazy. And then we wonder why these patterns repeat and repeat and repeat. It's because we jump from trigger to story to behavior to outcome over and over and over again because the ego is making us its bitch. Now, the ego is not a bad thing. We're going to talk more about this next week. The ego is trying to keep us safe. So when we put it in the role of servant and not master, we begin to really, really take control over this. But until we identify feelings, this thing is running rampant and it's, live, and it's basically controlling our entire life. Okay. So when I'm working with somebody, the first two steps I start working on when I work with any new client are triggers and feelings. It is, and I call it like the Sesame Street part of it, the Sesame Street part of coaching, which is tell me what happened and tell me how it made you feel. Tell me what happened. Tell me how it made you feel. Tell me what happened. Tell me how it made you feel. And the reason this is important is because when we can catch that feeling and sit with it, it helps us understand who we are, right? That feeling that we get in the body, whether it's somebody not testing us back or somebody bullying us or not getting the job or feeling like we don't fit in, it's the feeling that is driving the story, which is driving the behavior, which is making such a predictable outcome, okay? We can't control the trigger and the feeling, 
They're just part of us, but we can control or understand the story that informs the behavior, which makes that outcome so predictable. So when we talk about feelings, um, this is where I lose a lot of people because people don't like feeling stuff. They don't like it. They don't like to feel they don't like to feel. They like to talk. They like to go to cognitive, like, help me understand why I'm fucked up, but don't make me feel anything. It's like the saddest part of this. And I have to tell you, I resisted it so hard. I resisted the same thing. I was like, I just need to know how to fix this. I don't need to know how to feel it. Um, but as my teacher, I literally talked to her on Friday and she goes, Trish, I'm telling you right now, if you're not willing to feel it, you can't heal it. You can't, you can't heal it if you're not willing to feel it. And when we really understand our feelings, good feelings, bad feelings, and everything in between, we can experience a completely different story because we're not trying to numb out bad feelings or run from bad feelings or storyline about bad feelings. We're giving space to them to be curious about them. Um, I was talking to my friend Brian the other day and he goes, you know, I realized something. He's like, I'm not, I can't be scared and curious at the same time. I can't be certain and curious at the same time. I can't, like my brain can't do both things. So the, the dialogue in the brain is going to go on the default setting into the story regardless, but we can actually change that story around from a story about certainty to a story about curiosity. And when we're talking about feelings, step one and step two specifically, and catching those feelings before they turn into a story and adaptive behavior, this is how you can change your fucking life, okay? Um, we come from the boomer generation. It's, it's the silent generation, right? This is exactly the opposite of how boomers were raised, right? Children were told, uh, that were seen and not heard, their feelings didn't matter. That's why people were, you know, the, the, that's why, you know, um, Mad Men was such a thing. It was almost like sleepwalking through life and looking for all these external things that they can manipulate in order to quotation mark find happiness. But of course it didn't work that way. And the sad part is, you know, we know that model isn't working. We, it hasn't worked for a long time. And here we are, you know, in this 2021 conjunction trying to figure the fuck out what we're going to do with this dark night of the soul trying to come out the other side better than we were before we walked in where nobody's willing to feel their shit right um and i think that our inability to feel and our inability to value our feelings and our inability to go in instead of go in instead of going out which is typically what we do and what i mean by that is sitting with yourself instead of deflecting it outward, right? Tell me what's wrong with me, tell me how to fix it, or it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault, you know, this is what happened to me, look at how I turned out this way. When we're like, oh, my feelings are trying to tell me something. Maybe I should sit the fuck down and sit and listen to these things. Because what I like to think of it is, and again, get your cringe hat on, it's your inner child. It's like this six-year-old part of you that learned very quickly what was okay and appropriate based on what they were experiencing externally and what wasn't okay, right? So in a lot of families, if your feelings 
uh, were inconvenient or too much or sensitive or, you know, you cried and somebody was like, Shh, stop crying and, and push it down. Or somebody was like, oh, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. This is the way that people start to get really confused. They don't trust themselves. They don't trust their feelings. What they do is they be trained to trust the story before their own feelings. And this is why we're walking around like freaking zombies all the time. So if a feeling is bad or not very good, or we get that sensation somatically in our body, which does not have language, immediately the ego kicks in. The survival software is like, oh shit, oh shit. We better, we better get this under control. We better get this squared away real quick. Quick, we need a story. We need a story. What's the most predictable story? Oh, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, that guy cheats on me all the time. I've been cheated on seven times. Perfect. That's familiar. The ego does not care if you're happy. It just wants certainty. And so if that story is familiar, that's exactly where the ego is going to go, which means the behavior is going to be predictable, which means the fucking outcome is going to be predictable. And then we wonder why we can't hit the back of the net because we are so stuck in that goddamn story. We are so stuck in the story. My question is, how do you feel? So when I first start working with a new client, what I say is like, okay, tell me who pissed you off. Tell me who wronged you. Tell me who made you feel like shit. And then I want you to sit with the feelings that came. And they'll be like, but then this happened. I'm like, I don't give a shit about the story. I want to know about the feelings. And I send them a picture of a color wheel that has about... 75 different feelings on it and their only homework for the first two or three sessions is where's the triggers and then how did you feel trigger i feel fill in the blank trigger i feel fill in the blank and so we're trying to bypass the train leaving the station and giving us a predictable outcome before we understand what kind of fuel we're putting into that thing right the feeling is fueling the story so if we can catch the feeling and say you know the trigger was my boyfriend or the guy that I was dating didn't text me back immediately. And the feeling in my body was terror. It was fear. And I say, okay, why did that feel so, what, what, what about that feel scary to you? I don't know. I don't know why I feel so scared. I feel like he's going to leave. Well, why is that scary? Tell me about the feeling of somebody leaving you. And what does that mean about you? Well, that feels like I'm not lovable. Okay, so what does it feel when you feel like you're not lovable? It feels like I'm totally on my own. And what does that feel like when you're totally on my own? I feel empty and sad and hopeless. And what does it feel like to feel empty, sad, and hopeless? Empty, sad, and hopeless? It makes me feel like I'm completely unworthy. Okay, curiosity got us to the real story. Because otherwise, the story would be he's cheating on me right? And maybe he is. Who knows, right? We have no control over what happens externally. We have literally no control over anybody else's behavior. We have no control over anybody else's feelings. We have no control over somebody else's outcome or how they show up. But we do have control over basically how we behave based on the story we're telling ourselves. And remember, the story is deeply influenced by our own past trauma. Whether we're willing to feel it and heal it or not is up to us. So for me as the coach, I'd rather spend my time healing the basically the disempowering belief system that is influencing these stories that occur when a yucky feeling comes in the body, right? So basically, the story becomes about them healing themselves rather than manipulating the world around them to protect or project so that they're not going to be hurt again, 
the behavior is predictable, the outcome's predictable, and then they realize, you know, at 45, 46, 47 years old, that they're so far away from their authentic self that they don't even know who they are, right? Because they're unwilling to sit with their feelings. Another example would be something like, um, uh, this is a big thing with especially even grown women, even grown women being left out, right? FOMO, like I don't belong, I don't fit in. Um, so if for some example, somebody was saying, uh, you know, about their friends, like I felt left out when, uh, they didn't invite me to do something. So the trigger was being quotation marks left out of some, you know, thing that their friends were doing. And the feeling is a deep sense of yuckiness in their chest or, you know, some tingling in their hands. Uh, and then the story becomes, you know, see, this is what everybody does again. They always leave me out. I'm, I must be, there must be something wrong with me or they're jerks or whatever kind of thing that storylining that we come up with. The behavior is that you withdraw or you use the silent treatment, right? And then, uh, you have this repetitive outcome of having people consistently disappoint you, right? (laughs) Where the story is just a defense mechanism to validate the trauma-informed experiences that you've had up until this point, where if we go back to the feeling, I feel sad, I feel left out, I feel unlovable, I feel unworthy, we can typically trace this straight back to childhood, usually between the ages of zero to 10, as my teachers taught me, and, um, you know, kind of heal and reframe that relationship to yourself, right? Teaching you how to meet your own needs, teaching you how to sit with your feelings. And one of the ways I do this is it's almost like I imagine myself kneeling down to a six-year-old explaining to me how they're feeling, right? So for example, um, you know, we come up with the trigger, which is, you know, somebody left me out and we sit with the feeling, I feel scared, I feel lonely, I feel sad. Instead of me saying, you know, storylining, like, suck it up, push it down, just move on, you know, protect yourself for everybody's going to fuck you over or, you know, do whatever you can to fit in. Just maybe, maybe you weren't nice enough. Maybe you needed to do this, this, and this. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before we start doing any of that shit, why don't you just tell me about how you feel? And I imagine myself kneeling down in front of my six-year-old self and saying, honey, I know you got some big feelings today. Talk to me about what that is. I know something triggered you. I'm here to listen to you. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me about what that feels like. And I allow myself space to fill in the blank. I feel, I feel, I feel. Tell me more. Why do you feel that way? And I can almost always, whether it's internally with myself or with my clients, trace this back to something that happened to them when they were little, right? Uh, Feeling like they weren't allowed to have feelings. Feeling like, uh, they had to be a certain way in order to get their certainty, right? So the story is deeply influenced by their ability to feel or have permission to feel or not, right? So for example, I'll just use my own example for a minute. Um, whenever I would get a panic attack, I'm incredibly intuitive. So I can feel, I, I have, my sixth sense is keen and it's a blessing and a curse. I finally figured out how to harness it, which is, I have to say, my greatest superpower. It is how I help people the most. The thing that gave me the most pain in my life is now my most important asset. And it's my ability to feel things and activate things in people 
Uh, and I did the same thing when I was little, but I didn't understand that. So I would be triggered by feeling things around me and my feelings, whether they were validated or not, like I would have a a trigger and I would have these massive feelings in my body. And I would look outside of myself to say like, what is going on? Why am I feeling this? And I was shamed because of it. It was like, there's something wrong. You're too much. I can't handle this. We, there's a problem. There's something wrong with you. And again, my parents were doing the best they could at the time. They didn't know. Like it was the 80s. Who knew back then? So they sent me to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist also told me there was something wrong with me. And then, you know, 43 years later, I'm wondering why I don't trust myself. It's because I never had somebody say to me, everything you're feeling is here for a reason. Talk to me about what you're feeling rather than looking at it as a problem, right? So my story became, there's something wrong with me. So every time I would have a big feeling, I would just shame it. The same way that I had the external experiences as a little girl. I would be like, this is fucked up. I don't trust this. I would shame it. And we know that when you shame something, just like when you shame somebody trying to change, it's not going to change anything. It's just going to make the problem bigger. Um, The behavior would be that I would pretend like I didn't have these feelings. And then I would, you know, uh, overcompensate for things. I would try to outrun these feelings. I would try to numb the feelings because I didn't trust them at all. And the outcome was I had this repetitive cycle of catastrophic failure, whether it was financial or business or relationship. I just kept doing it over and over and over and over and over again. Now, when I get triggered, I sit with that feeling. I feel anxious. I feel scared. I feel sad. And then I ask questions. Okay, tell me about that. What do you think that's about? Talk to me. I'm here to listen. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm being overlooked for this thing. Okay, well, that must really hurt your feelings based on what you've experienced in your life. I bet that's really scary. Yeah. So maybe the story is um, instead of they don't like me, I don't fit, I don't belong. Maybe the story is I'm just feeling sad because I'm afraid that if I show up as myself, I'm going to be shamed the same way I was growing up when I was little. So my behavior would be to get small to stay protected. And then the outcome would be that I constantly undershoot, right? Where if I sat with that feeling and I said, everything you think, everything you feel is right. I'm here to listen to you. I'm less likely to repeat that same story again because where there's curiosity, you can't really have shame. They can't live in the same house. When we're being curious about stuff, the same way we're being grateful about stuff, we can't be fearful and we can't be in shame. There's too much mental calories being spent trying to figure out what's actually going on. That gives me an opportunity to reframe my trauma-informed story, to mitigate these repetitive behaviors, and to be able to change the outcome from being disempowered to hitting the back of the net, right? And so the more time we spent in number one and number two, the trigger that we can't control and the feeling that we we can't control, and we can sit in that feeling, before the ego storylining kicks in, we have such a great chance of reframing how we show up in our environment, right? But remember, the reason this is so difficult is because it is exactly the opposite of how traditional sort of healing modalities work. You know, to sit, it's almost looked at as woo, right? Like it's weird. Like, I have no idea how that somehow became weird. But if we understand the reason why traditional therapy was behavior uh, modification based, it's because behaviors are measurable. Feelings don't even have language 
It's a sense in the body. We create language when it gets to the brain and the ego and this the meaning-making machine kicks in. But if we can sit with that feeling, we can rewrite the story. And isn't that what we're wanting, is to rewrite the story, right? The ego is fear-based. The ego is not concerned with helping us grow. It's, help, it's, it's concerned with keeping us alive. And it's done such a good job. And I'm not... I would never villainize my ego. I would never do that. The ego is basically um, puffing up or shrinking. Uh, Basically, it's project and protect. It's like, who do I need to be? Or what avatars do I need to send out in order to create some sort of significant safety and certainty? That's what it's doing. And so when I can feel that story kick in, I don't immediately subscribe to the story, subscribe to that story. I say, thank you so much, ego for being so good at keeping me alive. You've done a great job in this 43 years. I'm so grateful for you. The same part of your ego that's, you know, storylining is the same one that tells you not to eat the meat that's rotten because it'll give you diarrhea, right? It's an incredibly important part of who we are. But a lot of the times, especially if we've had a lot of trauma or a lot of self-doubt, the ego is gonna go on overdrive because it's really, its job is to avoid pain. At least, you know, right in front of us, the pain that we can avoid, like in the interim, the discomfort right now that we can avoid, right? Even if it means that it's going to cost us dearly as we kind of go down the line in our lives. This is how, you know, when the ego is driving the bus, which for many people, the difference between being asleep and awake, quotation marks, is the difference between ego and authentic self. I talk about this all the time. Um... We wonder why, you know, all of a sudden we start to blink our eyes, wake up, and and we don't know who we are. I can't tell you how many times in the past, I don't know, especially now because I think, you know, coaching and and therapy is so important is because we have to get this stuff figured out at at least a little bit better than we did before so that when we come out of this pandemic on the other side, we're not repeating the same behaviors and patterns we did before. There's no such thing as normal anymore. It doesn't exist right? Normal uh, is a construct. And as we always say, you're making decisions out of two places. You're either making them out of fear or out of love. And the ego is very fear-driven. It's, it has a massive negativity bias and it's trying to keep us safe. It looks at everything as a threat. That's why right now, when you look outside of us, that's why this past week has been so heavy because you can see when adversity drops into the space or uncertainty drops into the space that triggers that creates those feelings in the body and those feelings are some iteration of we're not safe we're not safe everybody's ego story is going to be based and informed on their own trauma right that's why when the ego gets involved everything becomes very binary where it becomes i'm a republican i'm a liberal I'm for Joe Biden, I'm for Donald Trump. They're right, I'm wrong. Or I'm right, they're wrong. You know, that kind of stuff kicks in because the ego is driving the bus. And the reason the ego is driving the bus is because nobody in this fucking country knows how to feel shit. They are totally attached to superstition. They are totally attached to labels. The ego is on high alert because the adversity is so high. You cannot heal what you are not willing to feel. And the ego doesn't like that. It doesn't want to be that vulnerable. But unless you're willing to heal, everything you're doing is going to be filtered through this unresolved trauma. 
And the only way to resolve trauma is to feel it. It's not like this catastrophic like overhaul. The Pandora's box isn't going to get opened. There's nothing that's going to come up that you can't process. But it's amazing the lengths people will go to to not feel, right? You can tell when somebody is not willing to feel when they're so concerned with being right, when they're so wrapped up in their superstition, where they're so fucking married to their story. It's like, can we get out of the story and get back to the feeling? Let's get out of this binary right and wrong for a minute. Let's stop repeating the same fucking behavior and then being surprised that the outcome is exactly the same. It's the only way to change. So when people look outside of themselves, they're like, I hate the current state of the world. I'm like, well, then feel your shit. Feel your shit so you're not one more person out there lumbering around sleepwalking. So you're aware of your own stuff. So you're not projecting it outward so that we can heal this in our fucking lifetime so our grandkids aren't dealing with this generations where we don't even have to be a part of that we're going to be long gone at that point but wouldn't it be nice to consider that because you were able to go towards your shit your great grandchildren don't have to do it we can kind of break these generational um you know trauma things we can break them now but we have to stop going out We have to stop going out. The answer is not outside of you. It is inside of you. And if you feel unsure about that, that's what I'm here for. That's what therapists are here for. That's what other life coaches are here for. But they can't do the work for you. You have to do the work. And you have to invest in it. And again, if you're looking outside, this is one thing that I have to say. Even with this podcast, this can be a way to not feel your shit. You're like, I cognitively understand the feeling piece. But the practical application is you alone by yourself, right? Even when I'm a personal trainer, like if somebody wants to get fit, they see me for one hour out of the entire week. One. That's not going to change shit. It's not in a book. It's not in your therapist's office necessarily. It's not going to happen, you know, when you're freaking, you're, you're reading another inspirational quote on Instagram. It happens when you sit quietly with yourself and you say to your six-year-old self, I'm listening. I have time for you. I care about you. I love you. Help me understand. Let's figure this out so that we're not filtering life trying to avoid our feelings because they're bad. Nothing that you feel is wrong. My friend Alexis Pierce, who is also, uh, she's like a soul and spirit coach, She was on the podcast a while ago, and I highly recommend that you go back and listen to it. But one of her mantras is, everything I do, think, and feel is right, right? But the thing is, it starts with the feeling. The trigger elicits the feeling. And if we can get good at naming that somatic response, it is a body response. We have a chance of rewriting that story. And we can get out of playing defense our whole life. And we can get on the game of life and start hitting the back of the net too. And actually asking for what we want and then being vibrationally healed and aligned enough to receive what we're asking for. And I have to tell you guys, that's my favorite thing to do. It is what I do all day, every day, 40 hours a week, five days a week, 25 clients at a time. And I cannot imagine doing anything else which is why I wanted to bring the podcast to you. For those of you that we can't have a chance to work together, um, that we could do it, uh, go into session like this once a week and you know maybe there's a couple nuggets of wisdom or tidbits 
that you can take with you and start to practically apply. So when we leave session, I want to give you something to practically apply. Okay. Every single time we want to leave something with some practical application. The best way to start doing this and waking up and, and, and questioning your story is feeling the trigger and a trigger is the best teacher you have. It's going to lead you to the feeling, which is the feeling that's coming from this inner child uh, who is afraid to feel yucky or afraid to feel unloved or afraid to acknowledge the fact that they feel like they don't belong or there's something wrong with them. Identify the trigger, whether it's the guy not texting you back, not being invited to this, not getting the job or whatever yucky feeling. The yucky stuff is easier because that's where the, the, the ego is going to kick in. It's really trying to mitigate pain and identify the feeling, right? For example, um, I saw that my friend lost 20 pounds and that was my trigger and the feeling I got was a deep sense of yuckiness in my stomach. And that really led me to the the feelings of unworthiness, the feelings of sadness, the feelings of comparison, the feelings of not enoughness, and start unpacking those feelings. Those feelings are the things we need to heal in order to write a new story. Trigger, I feel, fill in the blank. Try that for a week and amaze yourself by what you come up with before that storylining kicks in. Right, And I'll leave you with that. Next week, we're going to talk more about the ego um, so we can understand more about this default setting and how it influences story behavior and outcome. But before we get to the ego, we have to bypass that by sitting with the feelings. And so that's what we do, right? Anyway, um, that's what I got for you guys today. Remember, the hard is what makes you great. Identify the triggers. Identify the feelings. It'll change your fucking life. Love you guys. Hey guys, it's Trish again. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it with your friends. Thanks.